and welcome to the States of Matter, a podcast from the Institute of Refrigeration's Women in RACHP Network. I'm Karen Perry and here to co-host is our network chair, Lisa Jane Cook. This episode, continuing our theme discussing subjects of interest for our industry's women, we talk about allyship and how important it is not only for women but for all marginalised groups to promote and aspire to advance a culture of inclusion through intentional, positive and conscious efforts. I'm excited to say hello to the founder of our network, Mr Steve Gill, a known ambassador of our refrigeration industry and ally of many. And a warm welcome also to Lee Chambers, founder of Essentialized Workplace Wellbeing and award-winning keynote speaker. A very warm welcome to both of you. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure to be here this afternoon. So I guess, Lisa Jane, I'm sure you've got some questions ready to ask. I have. I've got lots of questions, but I just really wanted to say that I'm really excited to have you both here. You are both great allies to us. So it's just a privilege to actually have this opportunity to take a bit of a dive into what motivates you and your career paths. So actually, I suppose the first question or thing that our listeners might be wondering is actually what what it is to be a male ally. So um, I'm going to ask Lee first what that actually means to you. Yeah, so being a male ally to me is very much a case of thinking, considering and taking action based on being an advocate, an accomplice and an occasional disruptor looking and considering about the spaces that we're in because we live in a world that, whether it's institutions, systems or structures, has pretty much exclusively been built by men and just being able to take a step back and appreciate how facilitated lives are for men and how some of the challenges that we don't go for ourselves might impact others and how we can be part of actually addressing some of those challenges, about highlighting some of those challenges and being able to actually make changes to systems and structures so they benefit everyone. Yeah, and actually even you, as you're saying that, it resonates quite strongly. We don't have a lot of women in our industry. There are probably sort of... It's below average, but there's a greater number in support and admin roles, but actually in technical roles, it's, it's still a very low number. And I think in part that is down to the challenges and it could be everyday things such as PPE to, like you say, environments that are not designed for women. I've worked in spaces where there aren't restrooms for women or locker facilities. So you, you just get thrown in with the men. And while that doesn't bother me, I think it's not necessarily always fair on them. And Steve, what what is it? Well, what does it mean to you? I mean, obviously, as, as our ally in our industry, our leading light. Our leading light. Oh, dear, that's worrying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's. I mean, Lee put it so so well, but it, it's, it's, it's not about me. I think it's, it's being about others. And it's, it's multifaceted, but it's, you know, it's being a sponsor to marginalised co-workers. It's, it's thinking about others uh, and all those sort of things that, that, that go with it. There's, there's so much uh, in, in our careers, in our jobs, in our lives. Well, we have to be about us, you know, we have to be about ourselves, we have to push ourselves forward, but then we'll be all working teams. And I think it's it's being, recognising an ally is the, you know, the real essence of being a team player. You involve everybody. It's no use. Yes, we all like to, if, to use a sporting analogy, we all like to either save the penalty or score the goal, you know, depending what position you're in. But we have to involve everybody else. And I think that's really, it's, that's what it's about for me. Not Not being about me. We talk a lot about, people and we were talking about this earlier about people-centered management and thinking about other people and to me that's about being honest as well you have very career-driven people who who are maybe a little bit about what I want to do and and where you want to end up but actually yeah be honest about it and be open with others so that we're not kind of elbowing each other out the way and it is about supporting each other and just being kind to each other and appreciating everyone else's yeah, aspect absolutely. of what they want to do as well. Absolutely, and so if I'm, I'm and being a a male in a predominantly male industry, it's also about owning owning our privilege. You know, we have to recognise that that some things are easier for for some than they are for others, and and we can't rely on our own experience. Uh, you know, so many and I do it as well. We look at others and think, oh well, if I was in their shoes, well, we we've never been in their shoes, quite possibly. You know, we have to accept them as individuals with different experiences. And that's, that takes a mind shift, or it did for me anyway, because I thought everybody was the same as me. And it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't, it took a while to realize that they're not. That, and that is really true as well, isn't it? We are all very different. 
we've all had very different experiences what I find really sort of helps me as well and it's it's not necessarily that I've had the same experience as someone else but to remember where where I came from and what I've been through and how that impacted me so that really helps me to to relate to people to at least have some empathy for their situation so aside from what ally or what being an ally means for you actually what what motivates as well you know you're saying that you you do it in a particular way but what actually made you want to change the status quo so I suppose mine mine is quite a long journey to get get to the point where I am today um and I've only still really I would say taken a few steps across that bridge into allyship um, I think there's still so much more that I can do, both individually and collectively. But for me, it was kind of born from, I kind of sit in a, in a place where I am of lesser privilege due to my ethnicity and my disability. And yet I was always very driven to look beyond what was impacting me to what was impacting others. Uh, in the early uh, 2010s, I had and ran a tech company in the video game industry. And we had a 70-30 gender split in our team, which at the time was seen as progressive, but actually reflecting back made me not as aware of some of the challenges that I should have been. And I didn't listen to my female employees' specific challenges as much as I could have. And it took me losing the ability to walk and spending you know, a lot of time recovering to actually start to process that and realise um, that kind of took me on a pathway where I spent four years as a stay-at-home dad. And suddenly, after spending a whole lifetime in male-dominant environments, I spent a lot of time in female-dominant environments and heard stories of grandmothers who were the first generation into the workplace and everything that they'd faced, and the stories of mothers, the discrimination they'd been through, the NDAs they'd been forced to sign, the abuse and harassment they'd had. Uh, and I just finally got space to listen and that's really the kind of the first step in allyship is being able to listen and be curious about other people's experiences. Because as Stephen kind of said, when you do that, you realise that you might have started your life on the starting line. Some people started outside the stadium and are still at a point where they're by your side to this day. And you never know how far someone has travelled until you sit there and listen to their stories. And that's kind of now taken me onto a journey through my own work where, you know, I do a lot around well-being as a, as a concept in the workplace. And I was just shocked to hear at the lack of, you know, gender, gendered health kind of insight into how well-being was being delivered in the workplace. Because there are significant challenges that women face in the workplace that, you know, well-being strategies just weren't considering things from menopause through to menstruation. Uh, through to specific challenges around fertility, stuff like, you know, PCOS and endometriosis. And there's just the awareness in the workplace was just not there. Why? It's another kind of structural concept in society of keeping these topics as muted things that are considered to be almost dirty and taboo. But it's just health, natural. Why? And I just got rather angry at the lack of fairness and the lack of exposure to these things to a point where I said, like Stephen said earlier, I've got a, I've got an element of power, an element of privilege, a platform. Why don't I use that in a proactive way to challenge and bring other people on that journey while actively working behind the scenes to seeing what I can dismantle, tinker with, challenge, and yeah, really cause a little bit of a, a little bit of friction because that's how we often start fires that create change. I was going to say what a fantastic answer when when you asked the question. I'm glad I let. Uh... Uh, well, Lee went first because I was going to say listen as well. You know, for many of us, listening, you know, is is uh, just waiting to to get our answer back. You know, you really have to actively listen, and you know that's helpful in, in many aspects of life. And it, and it's not until you either, as Lee, you know, found the space to do it, or you you do it consciously that that suddenly you 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 hear a lot more. And I think I became a um, sort of a confidant to co-workers who, who were sharing their experience and once you hear them and you really hear what they're saying it, it's quite horrifying and I think Lee touched on it you know but being I can't said friction or something or being you know creating it is it is really about see something say something or do something you you, you cannot be a passive listener as well and be an ally you have to actively listen and then you have to act upon that see it say something you know see something wrong hear something wrong act upon it I think that's that's key to it all 
I don't think that answered the question. It was really building on Lee because I was, I was so impressed with Lee's answer about listening. I thought, oh, I wish I'd said that. What sort of response do you find that you get maybe in sort of larger corporate companies um, when talking about allyship? Do you get a, kind of an immediate recognition or do you still get a little bit of a blasé feel from, from men particularly? It, it, it's quite interesting, Karen, uh, because the, as a topic, allyship's become almost a bit of a challenge. There's a massive gap between people saying they're an ally but actually doing the work behind the scenes and actually making a difference. Some people have taken the badge and feeling good about it, but not actually inciting any change, uh, which is kind of making the topic a bit of a challenge. Uh, From a company's perspective, we generally see like a small group of men who are really actively engaged, uh, but then a really wide set who are kind of like started to lean in, but are not really sure what to do. They're a bit like, is is this diversity inclusion stuff for us it's it's mm. side of desk kind of stuff do we want to once we kind of step in are we going to have to challenge our own feeling and i think there's a massive proportion of curious men kind of on on that line uh but the reality is that for a lot of men you need to look at yourself first before you start on the journey and what i found is there's two really interesting camps like a group of men who uh, in a bit of a par- paralysis because they felt they used to be the good guys. They were the ones who, you know, they weren't directly harassing women. You know, they were they, they weren't the ones who were who were you know causing significant challenges and doing things that were you know overtly misogynist. So they felt they were they were they were the good ones, but actually they've realised that my kind of tolerance and passiveness has actually meant that these things have continued to happen. So actually, I'm not very good. And I'm a bit like coming to terms with that before I move on. And kind of a a group of men as well who are like, I have to unpack my own emotions before I can go. And I have to look back on the things that I should have called out that I didn't, that I feel ashamed about. And I need to reflect back on the things that I've said, that I'm guilty and feel, you know, feel disappointed in myself. And the challenge is that a lot of men are not the best at unpacking those negative emotions to kind of start and kind of have that ability to start to move into it. Um, some organisations are better than others, uh, but there's still a challenge where a lot of men are like, but if we do this, if we set off on this journey, if we create gender equity, it's going to take away opportunities from me. It's going to take away opportunities from men. It's like, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, be a disadvantage to me uh and we're seeing resistance but what i'm saying is this isn't about men versus women this is about collaboration this is about creating more equitable spaces for everyone and actually it's not pie you're not going to get less if we generate equity for women you're just going to have a team a better team to bake a bigger pie together and everyone's going to get more pie and who doesn't want that (laughs) i love that and i think yeah unconsciously we do sort of unconscious bias as well that we all think that we're open and and like you say you probably look at yourself in ourselves in history or what we've done throughout our careers and and long careers of of different things of or maybe maybe that wasn't right but actually it's the acknowledging it and changing now is what's important yeah definitely and and it kind of sets in a whole range of challenges but for some men it's kind of helping them feel confident to lean in and not feel like they're going to say the wrong thing or have spaces where they are actually able to, you know, self-educate and educate each other. And, you know, sometimes you kind of, you you feel that like, feel that resistance towards stepping in because it it feels uncomfortable. It feels like a, a new space. It feels like somewhere where I'm not massively competent. And again, it's just helping, like, you don't need to be massively confident and an expert in this to start. You just need a little bit of curiosity, willingness to maybe relearn some things and unlearn some others, maybe. And an appreciation that the same gender stereotypes that negatively impact women also negatively impact men. Yeah. By the other side of it, maternity discrimination, you know, makes men feel like they, they can't take paternity leave, for example. Um, and it's like these things intersect. If if we didn't, you know, label women as emotional and hysterical and crazy, then more men would speak openly about their mental well-being because yeah. emotions wouldn't be 
a negative thing. Mm-hmm. So all these things that impact impact women also impact men. And it's just helping them to appreciate and understand that too. I think educating yourself as well, it's so important early on to and part of the journey because you have to you have to be aware of make aware of your own shortcomings as well as your your own strengths. So there is a self-awareness bit and an education. And um, but this in terms of the large large organizations, I think it was Karen's um question. I find that it sort of on the outset it falls into two camps. So there are loads of men who who welcome this and, and jump on it. They they want to champion. There are loads of champions at the moment of women's cause. It doesn't mean they're allies, it, it, they, and it doesn't mean that they're not necessarily, but there are many who like to get on their soapbox and, and write emails or do their, their talk at the town hall meetings and say why equality, women's rights, all these things are so important. And then they do nothing after they, that's it. They've ticked that box. Then they move back to their, their usual behavior. And then there's the other camp who, who feel threatened by it. And again, Lee's t- touched on that. Yeah, there is, there is some where again, there is for the men that they are going to have to give some things up. There is, right. The pie is, is greater for all of us. At the same time, it doesn't mean that the pie is exactly the same as it was. And so there is an element of, oh, I can't go on doing what I've been doing. You know, there has to be a change. But I think in large organizations, particularly, and I mean that and not necessarily the workplace, in, in large groups, I think creating a community of allies is, is one of the things. You can help bring the right people out. You can encourage others to, to involve. And mostly, and I have to say mostly, uh, as we're talking about men or, or any allies, people want to get in, but they want to do the right thing. You know, deep down they want it and they're just looking for the opportunity. So creating a, the right community and that involves the women as well. Women Sorry. in HVACR, and you know, you know, that's why we did all the things we've done. Uh, the International Women's Network. That sense of community really does change the world. And um, working with the right people and connecting with them. I recognise as well, even within business. I think you mentioned it there, Steve. Men and women. Often, I, I challenge women that maybe complain about a space or where we're not comfortable or anything. But what are you doing about it? It's just as important. You can't rely on other people to be to be that voice and to make that change is to be part of that as well and just not kind of yeah express it as a problem but it's hard being a lone voice though isn't it and that that, apl- yeah. that again applies yeah. to both uh maybe harder for you know if, if you are a, you know a, a, in a marginalized sector you know you, you're not one of the minorities that, but even if you're in the minority being a lone voice is, is always difficult mm. yeah we have to treat this as a journey as well i think often quite people sort of like put off even starting it because it is a really big change it's a really big shift in in not only our our sort of environments but it is in your own mindset and you have to be ready for that change to start off with so you know you need to have yourself in that right place but you have to also accept that you're not going to be perfect from the off so no no one is suddenly an ally overnight it's a journey It's, it's about taking ownership of the things that not only that you're doing right, but also the things that you're doing wrong and actually, you know, sort of learning from those mistakes and, and maybe not even treating them like mistakes, but lessons. But I do, you know, I do think we can get there, but there is quite a big hurdle still, yeah. you know, to get over. And some of that comes with confidence as well. You, you know, we're all at different stages in our career. You've said it's a journey. We're all on individual journeys. You know, I, I know, I know certainly from my, my own perspective, I wouldn't have long ago insisted on, you know, the panels when, you know, when I was first invited to be a judge on a, on a industry panel, well, that was a big step. If they all turned out to be old white men, I'd have been quite happy. I was just part of that. You know, I was just happy to be a judge, but as you move along that journey and we're all on different journeys yeah, and confidence comes with that experience, I may be able to say, no, no, unless there's, you know, unless I insist on a diverse group and, and that, that's something that, we, if we're all on that journey, we can all we all grow together with it. Yeah, definitely. And and in in a similar way, you kind of you look back and you realize that it's it's not necessarily intention, but you don't always know what you don't know. That's not an excuse to just not know anything and not continue to learn and develop as a human being. Uh, but there's, there's that consideration where it is a journey and I kind of reflect back and the seeds of this were planted for me, you know, 2016, 2017, you know, six years ago. And I think sometimes people see that, you know, suddenly someone becomes vocal 
and feels confident in expressing it. And they feel that they like they've suddenly come from nowhere and had this epiphany moment. But actual like true allyship is a formation process. It's like fermentation. You almost need to bring stuff together and let it stew. And you kind of put together some of those dots from your own experiences. You go out there, you self-educate a bit, you go back, you test, you observe. It's very much like a scientific experiment. Uh, and it's not that you just turn up one day and you're suddenly, you know, a really kind of powerful ally in a space and you're able to be vocal, but also know when to decenter and deplatform yourself and when to help others become amplified it, from the from the marginalized groups you're an ally for, knowing when to put people forward and when to, you know, when to kind of remove yourself. You, but you, these are things that you're never going to get them right straight away, but it's, it's called, we live in such an outcome obsessed world that people want to become really great allies straight away after doing a course. And it's just not the case. It really is a developmental process because you are advocating for something that you probably unlikely to have been through a lot of the things and have direct lived experience. But that listening aspect, you gradually just get more jigsaw pieces to put together so you can feel more confident to explain to another what the jigsaw shows and i just think it, it is a matter of time but what's really funny is i went back and talked to my female employees after being unwell and what i heard was quite amazing because i just simply wasn't aware of it because i'd not asked the questions and actually sometimes it's the power of the questions that you can ask that will incite the answers that you get to able to find a few more of those pieces. Uh, but like Steve said, you know, there is no perfection in this. There is just a creeping step of progress every now and again as you open yourself up to learning, open yourself up to other experiences. And just appreciate again that, you know, we all start in different places. And once, once, once you kind of think about the, the things that people might have been through, it gets you curious about just that wider humanity piece because everything comes back to just being a good human. And for a lot of men, they started the journey because they wanted to be a better leader or they wanted to be a better partner. They wanted to be a better father. Quite often, it's not a business case that gets men started. It's, it's wanting to be a better human. It's funny you say the father thing because I get a lot of messages from men who now have young daughters that are asking me, how can I promote these careers? How can I, you know, create a better world for my daughter? And that I absolutely love. Like, you know, when you've become a father and you've had a daughter and all of a sudden the penny drops, you don't want that world for your daughter. Sort of going back a bit, you talking about being a stay-at-home dad and the fact that you use that opportunity to talk to women and to understand the things that they've been through. But I'm quite curious about how you were received in those environments because there probably weren't many dads on their own with their children. You know, they do go along with mothers sometimes if they've got a day off, but actually to go into that environment on your own, how did you feel about that? Yeah, so I, I think at first, when I actually floated this idea to people I, I was connected to, I mean, I got some interesting responses. Uh, someone someone referred to me as, as, well, that's a bit of a loser thing to do, isn't it? So Someone said it, it was like the, the equivalent of career suicide. But some others were really supportive and said, you know, just, just go and be that example in the room and show those, you know, young toddlers, those young boys who were toddling about that this isn't just a place for, for mummy, but it's a place for daddy as well. And it just got me thinking how I could potentially role model that. I suppose what it kind of made me realise it in the space, what you find is like some mothers were more welcoming than others. Some warmed up a little bit over time. Some of the some of the ones who were maybe a little bit you know, like standoffish at first were probably the ones who, after they kind of got to know me a little bit, were the ones who probably felt safe enough to share some of the more shocking stories uh and someone said something recently that I kind of I didn't I'd never thought about it at the time but the fact that you know mothers were actually willing to talk to me and, and open up about some of these things must have meant that they felt safe to do so and how many spaces do they actually have to be able to do that in the everyday world and that really kind of made me think because how many things I suppose it comes back to the systemic thing around women or the way things are communicated and the way systems and structures are 
is that it makes women think that they are the problem and therefore they should blame themselves. And you look at the message and it's always, well, she shouldn't have gone there. She shouldn't have walked there. She shouldn't have worn that. She shouldn't have asked that question. And it's only now that we're creating a space for people to be able to share these things that women are realizing, actually, it's, it's not me. It's a whole system thing. It's happening to everyone. But no one's been able to speak about it because they've all felt like it, it, it's my fault. And I suppose, you know, hearing that in that space and the share, because one person would start to share something and then another would kind of join the conversation and be like, that's happened to my friend as well. And then someone else would join and say, well, that didn't happen to me, but this did. And all of a sudden you just exposed to a, a whole world of experiences that you've simply not got the experience, lived experience of, but it just kind of, it just shocks you to realize what other people are going through and you're kind of floating through life oblivious, not even aware of it. No, and that actually is a really good way also to get sort of things going in the workplace is if you've got someone that's affected by a particular thing, it is really difficult to speak up about it. But even if not directly affecting me, sometimes I do like to sort of start having that conversation. And when you're in those open spaces, you find that quite often people will open up and share it might not necessarily be the same thing but it's it's another story um that they you know sort of they've kept it to themselves it may have been impacting them um it's really good and i mean steve's like karen said a founder of our safe space in our industry (laughs) he's really helped bring women together who you know quite frankly i said there aren't many of us um Uh, there's more than you think there's more yeah, but... there's many more than you think and i think that's that i won't say it's a myth because yes there's not as many women as there are men but one of the things and you've you've both you and karen have heard this story before you know when i started the the sort of the launch of the the women in RACHP and you know and the, the getting i was told i was wasting my time because there weren't any why are you doing that there's there's five of them six of them ten of them whatever number you can it was perhaps sometimes more than single digits, but it was it was very low numbers. And I said, well, actually, there's a lot more. They're just hidden, and I think we're we're finding that there are there are many many more than 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 people imagine. Yes, not as many as the men. That that's absolutely true. But once you you start to connect, and the, I won't say they they come out of the woodwork. It makes them sound like woodworm, but you know they 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 do appear. I think and you're that, right, Steve, because it was yeah traditionally it was the exhibitions and dinners and shows that were just predominantly male I guess that's it with kind of from from a women's side the women didn't attend as much I've I've probably been to quite a few in my time but but then that's because I've been pushed forward to Mm. Um, whereas now you recognize it more and I know even last week having a conference at work and someone commented on oh it's amazing to see so many women like now in our company and I was kind of is it but to me, I, I don't recognise it like that. I don't kind of look, oh, there's lots more women here now. I just see a normal functioning exactly. company. The, but I think, yeah, as, as a male, it was to sort of, it's almost, oh, yeah. There's a lot more visible. Yeah, I touched yeah. on a similar table um, not so many dinners ago, and, and it, it wasn't quite equal. I think it was probably equal. It was just one of these odd things where uh the seating plan worked out that it was arranged that way it's always great to see so many women I said, well how many of you have just started in the last couple of years? oh no we've been doing that for 20 years they weren't newcomers they'd all they've been there all the time yeah they just hadn't been attending these events yeah uh, and that's why it's so important that we challenge panel lineups and challenge who's picked and you know thinking about that fair allocation of exposure and visibility and opportunities from not only from a representation <clears throat> and role modeling perspective but from a, a, a fairness perspective of opportunity, because we kind of know there's an opportunity gap for women in a lot of industries because of the same people sending the same people each time to get the exposure, the opportunities, forging the conversations. Uh, and we need to be actively as an ally, part of looking at that and calling out when things aren't right. And I know mm-hmm. both me and Stephen do it where we challenge panel lineups and said, we're, we're not speaking unless you sort out the diversity across this panel. Um, and you know what? I appreciate events are, events are a lot of work to put on, but when it's really, really obvious that it's it's not being considered, we have every right to call that out. And that's, that's part of that. Really, more people should be doing that. If you see a panel and you're like, this isn't representative, 
of you know different strands of diversity then we should be kind of looking and, and asking those questions so who have you approached and ultimately saying you know what you, you've got a responsibility because whoever you put on that panel is going to get you know that exposure that visibility opportunities will come from that don't keep expanding the opportunity gap with your think, own kind of yeah lack of consideration i think sometimes it, it's uh, it's human nature it's not that they do it consciously they it's i'll say they're lazy they, they mm-hmm. they're all rushed and they just go to the usual people that yeah. they always go to yeah you know I, i'm guilty of it at times you know i need something new. who can i go to i pick up the phone somebody i know you know, and that's that's the way panels have always worked. You, you go to the, you know, the judges. Oh, yeah, we use them. We use them. And I remember the uh, it was one of the industry panels that, you know, I was approached, said, what's the make? And they told me and I was just at the Kate stage where I was getting more confident. I said, hang on, we, we, we need at least one woman on there, for goodness sake, more. But said, we don't know anyway. So I wrote I wrote them a list of 30, sent them a list of 30 potential women who are more than capable and suitably qualified and experienced to go on the panel. And wow, where did you get these names from? And this was somebody who'd been in the industry a long time. And it was actually a woman. And she said, where did you get these names from? It's just, it's human nature. We, we go, we take the shortcuts all the time. I just want to pick up something Lisa, because it's just, I always wanted to be a stay-at-home dad, you know. That's just, you've really, I've really got <laughs> I was I was just the, the junior in engineering. So I was on very low pay when we had our, our, our daughter. And uh, my wife was going to go back to it. So I did a month when she went back on you know after the end of maternity but because she was on much more money than me my wife you know that was it I was going to give up and she was going to carry on but she did a month at work she, no this isn't for me you, you've got to go back and get some and some real money so I had to go back into the workplace so I did it for a month but I'm really jealous that you did, did it for longer congratulations yeah and, and I'm well aware it's a it was a massive privilege to be able to do that because a lot of other men that I know either weren't in the financial position to be able to do it or they simply didn't have the support structures in place. And the more men that I speak to now, the more that want to, but there are some barriers that still exist. And whether it's, you know, whether it is financial or structural, or even down to the role that they have, being flexible enough to make it happen, um, it's something we keep kind of advocating for and really pushing for. Uh, But it's just this consideration that, that men don't want care and responsibilities. And actually, you know, from spending that time with my kids, I'm 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 a better I'm a better human. I'm more curious. I'm a better communicator. Um, you know, I'm more present. I'm definitely more patient. And I'll tell you what, it's really honed my negotiation skills. Mm-hmm. I, I'm now I'm now a next level negotiator thanks to uh, spending four years at home with two toddlers trying to trying to yeah trying to win the negotiation battle and generally losing. It's worse when you have two as well, isn't it? Because they tag team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You get railroaded into things. You say yes to something. Like one will ask if they can have fruit and the other asks for ice cream. And you're saying yes to the fruit, but the ice cream won. And it's all pre-planned as well. (laughs) It's really funny. But um, yeah, four four years at home would be amazing. Like with my first, I had six weeks and then I was back full time. Part of that was financial, but part of it also, because I was working in a role that was traditionally filled by men there was no flexibility in that role so it was a case of you're either off or you are back full-time and that is it Mm, that's a really good point the the whole workplace uh, and the volunteer space and just about everything to do with is evolved around a a predominantly male model and that's the way it's it's always been so to challenge it you're you're not only challenging uh the presence of of the men you, you challenge the way the way they've worked for a long time including the women you know you, now we've, we've always had meetings at this time of day we've always done this sort of thing they go no you don't have to you why not rethink everything we're doing and that then that gets yeah you see their eyes rolling sometimes you have to break it down into simple steps then and say well what about we do we arrange it outside the school run for example oh yeah that yeah okay you know then you have I to have- break it down I often recognise that with, within my own experience in, in being a senior leader within my business and the other females that are, are within that group, probably 90% of us have not had children and have not had career breaks. So it also does go against that. We're in that privileged position because we've not taken a career break, that you've been able to, to develop your career. And it is recognising things 
like that. I think having that empathy, like with meeting times, like with travel for maybe training courses, or it's not as easy for everyone else to to kind of leave that home life and that caring responsibility. I think we've seen more flexibility over the past few years and the Mm. pandemic has played a role in that. Uh, But what I still find fascinating is we've had a hundred, about a hundred years of the five day work week. And it used to be the six day work week. And why did it change a hundred years ago? Because too many men were going to football on Saturday and not going to work. That's the reason why it changed. (laughs) So, you know, we, we can actually make quite a significant change, but yeah. Why? Why not? Why not? Why not have, you know, time with your kids? That's probably more important than the football at the weekend, right? We can have a yeah, but no, it's good to see flexibility in the system. You know, companies are starting to see and tackle some of these challenges with kind of shared parental leave and actually expanding upon that and really giving opportunities and structures. Part of it now is the kind of the supporting men to feel supported through the process because it still is in a lot of organisations seen as, you know, taking care of responsibilities and putting a pause on your career, as it, which I hate that kind of terminology. It's, mm. it's not, your career is going to span for years. Like I'm approaching 40, but I don't know when I'm going to retire. Um, there's plenty, there's a long scope and a long runway to have a few years at home with my children. And I knew that if I didn't do that before they started school, then it's difficult. You don't have as much time. But the bond I got with my kids now, you know, there's no amount of money I could have earned in that period, no amount of time I could give back when the teenagers and the grunting at me because they don't know who I am. Um, you're never going to get that back. So it's it's a massive investment. And if you have the ability to do so, you should. And hopefully we can create a world where more people have opportunities to do that as well. And advancing gender equity does that for men. It's one of the outputs, one of the one of the aims, one of the goals, and one of the things that will come if we do that as a and we move forward. And that's where a big piece of the pie comes for a lot of men who want to do that. It's making the space comfortable for them to be able to request that as well, um, and not feel that they can't because the the caring responsibility is the the job of the women as well. Yeah, and you just I meet a lot of women who who have caring responsibilities upwards and downwards. And that's just standard. That's just what you're expected to do. Mm. And that plays a significant role as well. It's those expectations when, you know, if you can make places comfortable for men to also step into those roles, uh, feel more confident to do so and have the capacity. Really, a big part of it is about redefining what masculinity is in the modern day. And that can be taken either down two pathways. One, to create a more kind of a more modern masculinity where kind of caring, empathy, compassion are traits that are valued or down the other way, which we don't really want to talk about on this particular podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, st- I do actually still think we have got a long way to go. And like you say, there is a lot of companies now that are creating that kind of flexibility. But I wonder still other bits that we're missing. And, and you know, it's not something that people talk about a lot, but you're having this wonderful life event and then the most terrible thing happens and perhaps your your partner loses a baby like mid-term you know how often do we think about the fathers in that situation or like you say sort of upward care as well so when you lose a parent or you know there's there's so much that we just think well you'll have a couple of days off and that means you've got time to get everything in order but we're not actually dealing with the emotional side of it and it would it would be nice to actually get to a situation and while all the time we're always talking about improving equity for women, it is actually having like that backward thought and, and actually reflecting on what it is like to be a man living through those situations as well. Yeah, and, and that's where it, it runs in tandem, because if we're able to actually look at, you know, things that impact both sides, but maybe a bit differently, such such as, you know, fertility challenges, child loss. It impacts both sides, obviously one more directly because there's a physical aspect to it as well. But if we start to look at how we advance on one side, it pulls both sides together. And actually it stops being about sides and starts to come about collective support, uh, which is you know trying to weave things together rather than it being like these two distinct and separate, appreciating that there are differences but starting to celebrate the commonalities in how we can make, you know, workplaces better for everyone. Allyship is about helping foster those connections so both can move upwards together. 
yeah, it's not about giving up that privilege or power that you have. It's about using it to change the system so that everyone can rise. Mm. Yeah, one of the just you, you're making me think on a sort of my mind went on a tangent when we're talking about allyship and and all rising up together. I, I was my mind went off to the STEM thing, which I know uh, and STEM amazing, which is Alex Knight's uh, baby and brainchild, uh, which both, um, well, certainly Lisa James, but have you been on STEM Amazing, Karen, as well? I am currently doing it. You're currently doing it. So I you, have you, my right, first you... um, lesson on Friday. Yeah. So I'm not uh, nervous about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, the, it was the, the allyship. It's the, you know, it was, it's been traditional that the, the men go, you know, because of the, we were the guys going into the schools, particularly the, the older ones as, the, as uh, gaps appeared in their, their work schedule or, or the seniority that they could make the time to go into schools. And then, um, you know, now with far more women are going in, um, which is great. And the unconscious bias of, you know, being formed with children, all that sort of thing is, is probably part of a separate uh, discussion. But it did take, it did mean the men were having, in a small way, having to give up something because a few men came back. So well, why are we doing this for women? Why are we not doing this amazing for men? Well, we can, but sometimes you have to make this difference. And it, it is, there is something about giving something up as well. So it's not just the change. Being an ally also means sometimes taking that step back and saying, no, they are, they, we have to make this room for them. And it, it, it was something, I can't remember what Lee said. There was something, he didn't mention STEM or anything like that, but it was just this sort of making space and stepping back, which is so important, such a key. And it went back to your first question about being an ally. And it's not always a big, but being the person, you know, I'm going to go into school. And I'm going to tell those young girls they really could be uh, we're engineers. I don't think it'd be right. It's far better if others do it. Sorry, I went to one tangent, but it's something Lee said that took me there. Yeah, I think it, it's giving up that fair share, isn't it? It's not giving up something. It's just allowing a fair share for everyone. And I, I think, Steve, I was, I've, I've heard similar in kind of why is it women only? And But when you're, you are part of that group, you do appreciate but it is pushing people forward that wouldn't necessarily normally do it themselves. Yeah. And I just think it's that case again of, you know, where people start and allowing people to catch up. And it, you know, I try and phrase it in terms of like a bit of a race because everyone can conceptualize that. Uh, and what's even better is I'm meeting with Alex on Tuesday because we're going to look and see how we can potentially collaborate as well. So I think everybody on this call would sing Alex nice praises. So again like we have to thank Steve for that introduction in our industry um Alex messaged me on LinkedIn probably about a year before Steve suggested that I should look at her and she said oh you know we're putting these videos together of these women in STEM we want to put you on the website and I looked at it and I thought yeah maybe and then actually when it came to it I just didn't have the confidence to do it and then you fast forward 12 months and Steve's introduced her to our industry and all of a sudden I'm going on this course this program with her and then the result was I made a video and it's on her website it was a really big leap forward yeah and what was really powerful is is when I was first introduced to Alex about 18 months ago I went on the website and saw you Lisa Jane so (laughs) (laughs) before I met you in person it is lovely to be in this community and to have the kind of company that we do and obviously, Lee, we've met you through the Rising Stars, um, but both you and Steve have had so many awards for the work that you've done. And we know, and I know, the same thing. I didn't start off as a, a DNI advocate, but it's it's kind of where I've ended up. And it's just that so you've got to start that journey, and it's you know where you sort of come from and and where you're going to. And this isn't the end of it. And I'm sure that we're all still going to be knocking around together for a few years to come. Yeah, I think the power of social media as well. I saw. Um our friend Kat Parsons won her Diva Award as well um, this week, which is great when you kind of do see people that you've kind of been networking with and talking to that are actually just, yeah, power of what she's doing is great. So really well-deserved award. And I mean, awards, we, you know, there, there is a, there is a bit of, is that showboating? Is that, is, are we, you know, what, what, why are we doing that? Is it self-promotion? You know, there, there, there is the, the, perhaps a bit of ego in there you know I, I love I love accepting awards who, who doesn't but there's, there's got there is more to it than that and I think that much more to that uh, and we're seeing that the fruits of that you know that visibility coming through now uh, and have them for for a short while you know it's it, it, it has been it has been a long slog I have to say um 
the, the issue, I think Lisa Jane said, you know, the, the challenges are, are still very much there. Don't be completely fooled by these awards and this visibility that we've got. You know, the challenges are still almost the same as they were, but the visibility is getting better. And it's thanks to you guys for, for keeping it going. We're definitely growing a team. Um, and hopefully, you know, in the, this year and the years to come, we're going to see more and more of our colleagues, peers, allies actually winning awards for the work that they're doing. You know, we, we can't do this on our own and, and we are stronger together. So we have to keep doing what we're doing to inspire and, you know, really just just build that team. And, you know, we're not going to be around forever and we probably won't want to do this forever as well. So it's, it's creating that, you know, for the future, isn't it? The, the I think we recognise as well, growing. don't we? It's the next people that, yeah, we need to, to inspire, um, mentor that can then lead the way in their own networks and their own groups as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and if you do allyship properly, it is uncomfortable. It is tiring. And you do need, you do need a support network. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I think me and Stephen probably do is we are kind of like recruiters, uh, in, in that industry, trying to pull other people on the journey so they can also then kind of do the same to their networks. And I think it's very much an ecosystem thing. Yeah. And you are seeing more people now running around with, with torches, lighting those little piles of kindling and just kind of, you know, light, lighting up those, uh, lighting up those slightly darkened corners so that more people can see that creates visibility for everyone, but it also creates visibility of the change you can make. And, you know, I speak to senior leaders quite often and there there is a lot of, you know, this 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 inclusion stuff, it, it scares us a little bit. If we say the wrong thing, we'll end up in the papers. Uh, I'll end up getting sacked. Uh, be, because of all this, I'm less likely to get a new position. There are a lot of, you know, a lot of concerns, but one of the biggest ones is I'm starting to feel a little bit irrelevant because inclusion has become, diversity inclusion becomes something that's, you know, a lot more powerful than it was 10 years ago. But actually, your relevance comes in being part of the change, not being scared of the change. And actually, that's how you will you know, continue to be able to make an impact way beyond your career by actually being an ally now who works on dismantling some of those systems that aren't serving anyone and works on really starting to think how they can you know, cr- create a bunch of advocates, accomplices, activists you know, for the next generation because they are very very switched on to this kind of thing yeah. uh, but they do live in a world of so many influences as well it's yeah. very very interesting world that they're living yeah but your relevance changes as, as you, you and your influence changes you, that journey you're on yeah you're not you're not in the same place as you were 10 years ago neither's the people you're speaking to as you've said but your your importance is, is still very much so i i i've seen it myself you know i'm, I'm not doing acting the same way as i did 10 years ago but I'm seeing, and I'm seeing the fruits of, you know, what I did back uh, in, during this journey. I'm seeing the, the people I've sort of mentored to, and, and the people that they're mentoring, you know, getting awards and, and coming. You think, wow. So I, have I become irrelevant? Not at all. Well, I don't think so. And I think you're, you're in very much not the not same position I am, but in your own position, your relevance is, is greater than ever. But it's very different than it was 10 years ago. That's for sure. Definitely. And that's the acid test, Stephen, is when people who you mentor are the winning the awards, not you, and that's that's how I see as the, uh, the the standard of being able to actually make a difference is that it goes beyond you and other people are recognised for the seed that you planted within them. Uh, I'm old enough to have the ones that I mentor. They're the ones they're mentoring are getting the awards now. It'll be, it's the great grandchildren getting the awards now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's great. But but yeah, don't think you're becoming irrelevant. That's I, I can't say that strongly enough. Yeah, and I think, Lee, you you said it it is about asking those questions and the questions become different, don't they? And all the time, I think just listening to people asking, being curious. Yeah, there will always be something else that that we need to to champion and be an ally for. That's that's really true, actually, because I've started doing some work in my own company. um, And it was, again, it was motivated by sort of sort of leveling out that gender balance but there's topics that have come up that I would not have thought of you know and, and even experiences that I've been through and like we talked about like parental leave and 
when I went back to work at um, six weeks after having my son, I was still breastfeeding him. And at that moment, there was nowhere for me to actually express that milk. And then only a few months ago, that sort of come back up at work. And it's like, I've never even thought back to that experience. But the fact is, is that still hasn't changed. There mm. is still nowhere for women to go. Um, so it is, it is that, like you say, it's that sort of asking those questions. And sometimes those questions and topics are still the same as they were, but you've forgotten those experiences. Um, and, you know, so you need to put yourself back in those shoes or connect with the people who are going through those experiences at that time. Yeah, we are all learning. That is for sure. So I'm going to ask um, about your careers. So, um, Steve, can you tell us a little bit about just a snapshot? Because, uh, <laughs> again, I'm sure we could talk for hours about this, but where, where you started to where you are now. Uh, where I started to where I am now, my goodness, I'm, it's full circle. No, it's um, I'm back, to, back to the low down at the bottom. Um, I, I, I don't know how to answer that, really. I, I got into the industry quite, I was, um, my father was an engineer, so um, my mum helped me get a job. So I got into engineering that way. It was, it was good old fashioned heavy engineering as they used to go with. We had a foundry, it was rail engineering. We used to make railway tracks. And the company went on a three day week. And uh, by a series of events, I ended up on a, a training course for refrigeration. So I, I fell into the, the, the cooling industry. And since then, it's been the, the usual, I think the usual, progression of you know apprenticeships you know out on the tools project management sales all this sort of thing um and then some international assignments so it's I, I don't know how you summarize that so it's been a long and fruitful and progressive career you have you have been with us for a long time haven't you but again I, d I don't mean that in a rude way and we say this <laughs> a lot but in our industry people fall in like no one ever chooses cooling we all just end up here and it's like Hotel California because you'll never leave. You'll never leave. <laughs> no. Now when I when I went I I went for a training course and I think I've said the well I said some to you do sometimes. Uh, I went for an IT course. I was going to go on IT and when I went the, the course was full. So they said if you come back in the afternoon you can there's a space on the refrigeration one. And I went back and sure there was so you're straight on. But I remember something is a, a guy called Dave Buchanan from Star Refrigeration who did the interview. He said if you join this industry you'll have a job for life. So mm -hmm. everybody needs to eat, everybody needs comfort, everybody needs cool. They'll always need cooling. You'll always have a job. He said, don't worry about IT. That'll, 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 that'll come and go, he said. <laughs> they just moved at slightly different speeds, I suppose. <laughs> but he was right. He was right yeah. about it's been a job for life, yes. And Lee, you said you owned a tech company. I mean, that's not a small thing, is it? Like, how, how did you get to there and then from there to where you are today? I went to the University of Manchester, uh, dropped out due to mental health challenges, then got back and graduated. And I wanted to go into psychology, but I couldn't actually afford to go in because of the low wages and coming from a relatively deprived background. So I went and thought, I'll get myself a career in finance. That'll uh, that'll line my pockets and mean I can at least help my family uh, and make a difference. Uh, so I joined a national bank on, on the graduate scheme in 2007 right at the top of the economic cycle and then eight months later got spat out and made redundant because of the credit crunch um that sent me back home to my parents who'd sold up uh so I ended up working in local government just to get by but got pretty disheartened with that and that's when I set up my video game business uh set it up from my parents back bedroom and got it to a point after five years where it had grown and operated across Europe uh young leader lo lots of mistakes lack of life experience uh, but just try to make it a good place. Um, then got ill, then had to learn to walk again, went through all those challenges and obviously stopped me, made me step out of the business, reflect, spend time as a stay-at-home dad, uh, and then start to think about how I could actually build something impactful. I think the first business I'd grown to prove people wrong, the second one, I wanted to build something that made a difference in the world. Uh, so that's where I'm at today. Started a wellbeing business, doing a lot in the workplace, looking at strategy and training, uh, now delivering, you know, across a range of different sectors. I very much enjoy being able to go in there and empower people from a health perspective, but also challenge things around the sustainability of people, which also includes things such as inclusion, equity, and things such as systems and processes, 
which again are quite often biased and have been designed a certain way by a certain type of person, usually quite a while ago. So yeah, I'm just that one who asks awkward questions and uh, makes a bit of a nuisance of himself. I think that does apply to both of you, from my experience and knowledge of you both. (laughs) But we are grateful for that. We definitely are. Um, One of the other things we talk about, we always sort of this running theme for our podcast, we have this uh, WTF moment. We've had some really interesting ones, actually, but I was wondering if either of you had an experience, and it might not necessarily be an experience that happened to you, something that you witnessed that you just think, did I just see that or did I just hear that or you know, something that really shocked you. Just trying to think of some good ones. I mean, an experience that I had, and it, it, it's maybe not so much of a shock, but um, when I was doing my apprenticeship, part of my um, training was that we went away as a college for a week to Amsterdam. And immediately everybody thinks, well, that's just a week-long party. But it was actually about going out to visit sites. There was a factory out there, a major compressor factory, to go and see how these things are put together. Every single apprentice before me had been on that trip as part of their course. The company had funded the travel and stay and they went along. And when I went to get the form signed off, I was told that I wouldn't be allowed to go because it's a lads week. Did you have the wrong body part? Yes. No, no, no (laughs) questions about what experience would be gained. You know, what would you be looking at? The fact that every single apprentice before me was allowed to go to that. And I wasn't. And I was so early in my career that I didn't even say anything. I just walked back out of the office and accepted that I wasn't going to be doing that part of the apprenticeship. I'm I'm well known, um, before we go over to Stephen and Lee, I think I'm well known at work for getting really annoyed at her hearing the word blokey in a room three times over that I just kind of lost it a little bit. It was kind of like, can we stop using the word blokey? And everyone just, I wasn't even supposed to be there, but it was yeah, it was talking about something and I was like, really? And this wasn't that long ago, to be honest. This this really was a life-changing moment. Uh, all the kids down the street used to play football, uh, you know, it, and it was just, it was on the street. It wasn't in the park or anything. And each day, you know, they'd line up and the, the two tallest uh, would, would sort of stand up and, and pick the teams one by one. So you always had a diverse team. And, you know, right down from the tall to the short and, and, and the athletic and not so athletic. And you sometimes had some girls attend one day. And so you could say we had total diversity in, in every aspect. And then one day my mum my spoke to me afterwards. She said, uh, I saw you playing football. And, and Alice was playing. I said, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Why didn't you pass her the ball? I but it really wasn't one of those moments. But it really, and I've seen that in, in the boardroom. I've seen that in, I see that everywhere now. I see women being included and I see them not having the ball passed to them. And the next game I did pass the ball and Mike, she was blinking better than I expected. I've got to say, mm-hmm. Alice, but th- there you are. That's a different story. But it, it really was, it really was one of those life-changing moments. And just one, I'll be very quick on this one because I know we're short of time. It was the day I accepted the, uh, uh, I got the RAC Gold Award and uh, from for, for uh, World Refrigeration Day. But that day, I'd helped a dyslexic person, go, an engineer, go for a job interview. And I'd warned them in advance. He was going for this, you know, he phoned me afterwards. He, he couldn't get through the gatehouse because he couldn't sign the getting on the site form because he, didn't, he couldn't read and write. He was so embarrassed. And that was a, wow, that, you know, we try and make change, but you've got to look the whole, you've got to think the whole process through. Mm. Sorry, I took two stories, but that really was a, a shocking moment for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go really quickly with one that can just make people laugh rather than being rather serious. So on my first day of my graduate scheme, uh, I got a little bit too curious, ended up on the leadership floor and then found I couldn't activate the lifts to get back anywhere. So I had to go and knock on the door of the deputy CFO of a national bank and say, I'm stuck, can you help me get back down? At which point they got security to come up and escort me to the right <laughs> floor to make sure I didn't you know, end up in any places where I shouldn't be. Uh, needless to say, I think the my cohort referred to me as, uh, as, as the trouble after that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah, curiosity got the better of me. But I'm still like a seven-year-old kid now. I'm still like to do things like that every day in my work. But that's what drives this professional troublemaker tag that I sometimes get labelled with. And both me and Stephen are, we are professional troublemakers. I like that. Yeah, that well, disruption. <laughs> yeah, I think we all like that. I think that's what why we are where we are. Disruptor sounds better than troublemakers, but I know what you mean. I think yeah. we, we do try disruptor. <laughs> I like <system>. troublemaker. <laughs> 
it's turning it into something good isn't it and it's again it's something I've always been I've always been known for that um when we were at school we didn't have a, a girls rugby team and I you know all I wanted to do is play rugby and I just moaned and whinged and got other people to whinge about it until they finally gave in and we had a girls rugby team but I was always known as that you know that one that is always being a bit challenging I think was the way they described me I can believe that somehow haven't they yeah. actually yeah. <laughs> and yeah, keep that, up that. the good work <laughs> <laughs> um just want to say thank you to Stephen and Lee um Lisa Jane really really good chat I think as always I've learned so much it's been really nice to listen to to some of those thoughts and ideas and and certainly more about yeah asking more questions and and listening as well thank you everyone for listening to this podcast um I hope you found it interesting and inspiring Please download the rest of the series and keep an eye out for social media posts where you can listen again, see what's next and share with your colleagues and even let us know what you want to hear more of. You can get more involved with our LinkedIn group, IOR Women in RACHP, and help to spread the network. Please get in contact if you would like to reach out about anything where we can support you further. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 